0: Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back. This is the Do Big Things podcast. I am your host. My name is Adam. I've got a really special guest for you guys today. You know why I love this guy? Because he called me up and he said, I just started running six months ago and I'm signed up for the Leadville 100. Come on. That was all I needed to hear. I liked him, I was in. He was looking for a coach, and to be honest, I let him know, listen, man, this is a tall order. I don't think it's impossible, but it's a tall order. Since then, he's been doing pretty much everything I'm throwing at him, and he's doing great. And he's on his way to the big one, the Leadville 100. I was pretty pumped he wanted to come on the show and share some of his journey. Uh, he and I both wrestle with mental health and With May being Mental Health Awareness Month, I was happy to have him on the show so that he can share his journey and hopefully inspire some people and give us some hope. Did you know that one in five people in the U.S. struggle with some form of mental illness? This last year with the pandemic, those numbers have just increased. Over the last year, alcohol and opioid consumption is most definitely on the rise um these numbers are staggering um overdose deaths have spiked nearly 50 percent what's the answer colin and i are both doing our best to take care of ourselves we both struggle i know you're gonna dig this episode i'm excited to bring it to you guys listen guys thanks for all the messages i've been receiving lately i really love hearing from you guys whether it's through instagram or facebook or the website i just love getting these messages from you guys saying that you're digging the podcast and it keeps me inspired it keeps me fired up keeps me in the game um i love knowing that there's people out there that are listening whether it's people that struggle with mental health or alcoholism or addiction or they are out just training all the time and they're looking for some inspiration themselves. Hit me up, guys. I love hearing about it all. Let me know what you're training for. Um, you can hit me up anytime. I'll do my best to answer back. I always do. If you guys haven't heard of ExoSkin, you are slipping Jack. They make a full range of apparel from hats to socks and everything in between. Um, most people wear their, their compression shorts. That's what they're most known for. Um, ExoSkin is the only seamless athletic apparel brand in the United States, and all their stuff is also made here in the United States. Their apparel is super comfortable and great at providing protection from chafing, blisters, hot spots, and odor. If you're into anything outdoors, you gotta check their stuff out. Um, they, their apparel has been through the most challenging races in the world, um, the Barkley, the Badwater 135. You name it, you guys. They stand behind their products with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so you've got nothing to lose. If you wear them and you're not convinced, send it back for a full refund. Come on, you guys. Why wouldn't Why wouldn't you at least try it? Check them out. Exoskin.us. use our discount code BTC for big things crewing and that's a 20% discount come on guys dig in this podcast is also brought to you by on pace wellness my man will Benitez is working on some of the working with some of the best athletes around and he's helping them find even more success this guy knows what he's talking about when it comes to nutrition he doesn't like the word diet as I'm sure most of us don't either he can help you no matter what your eating habits are vegan, keto, paleo, intermittent fasting. He'll listen to you and work with you, you personally. He'll make some suggestions and tweaks that will help you burn down 2021 in a big way. You want to take your fitness to the next level? Contact On Pace Wellness. Maybe you're not an elite athlete and you just want to be healthier and feel better on the day to day. Contact On Pace Wellness. Mention this podcast. He's going to give you a 10% discount and get you properly tuned up for success. Last but not least, this podcast is brought to you by Athletic Brewing. Great tasting, non-alcoholic beer that's going to blow your doors off. This ain't your standard O'Doul's, baby. This is high-end craft beer that tastes exactly like or better than the dark and hoppy beers that we all enjoy. They make IPAs, the dark stuff, you name it. I don't drink alcohol anymore, but I can still have a tasty beer without all the negative side effects. You can have one in the middle of the day, not worry about driving. You can have a couple at night, not have to worry about being groggy in the morning. There's no hangover with this stuff because there's no alcohol. Check out athleticbrewing.com and use my discount code MCROBERTSA20. All caps for 20% off the best and a beer around. Buy two six packs or more, and you don't have to worry about shipping costs either. Who does that? Athletic Brewing does that. Enjoy the taste without the hangover. I just ordered a case of this stuff myself. Summer's coming. I gotta have a case of beer on hand. You know what I'm saying? And uh, there's no alcohol. There's no hangover. I don't have to feel guilty about it. This stuff is fantastic. Check it out, guys. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for my man, Colin Morris.
1: This is the Do Big Things Podcast, where we want to inspire you to do big things. This podcast is brought to you by Big Things Crewing, a service for ultra runners from beginner to elite. Not only can we get you trained up, but we can also crew you into the finish line. Find us at big-things-crewing.com. Now, here is your host, Adam McRoberts.
0: So what's good, baby? How you doing?
2: Man, it, it's good day, man. Um, you know, of course, you know, I had the, the ride yesterday, Yep, three-hour ride.
0: Tell me about it. How was go? Awesome.
2: It was, it was great. Um, I tried out a new place. There's this, uh, you know, I'm in Nashville, so there's uh, Percy Warner park. And I run there a lot, but I just found out there's mountain biking trails. And so I went up there and hit them up and there was some really awesome, uh, places to go. I hooked up with one guy who showed me a couple other places, uh, within the park. And so just kind of tooled around and, um, about probably like two and a half hours in uh, I was definitely starting to feel kind of fatigued and uh, I didn't wear my glasses because they just fall off when I'm riding yep. and so it's kind of getting dark and it's kind of getting sketchy and so uh, I decided to throw because I was doing this like you go up and you get to the downhills and there's jumps and all this stuff and of course I like to go big so I, I'm I'm hitting them up and I I got some good air I like cleared a double but it was kind of sketchy and I was like all right we're two and a half hours in, we're getting a little tired, it's dark. And so I just, I headed back to like some easier <laughs> terrain to finish out the ride, but it was intense, man. And nice. then, uh, and then today's run was great as well It was pouring down rain. But, uh, nice part about that is there's nobody on the trails. So yeah. I kind of had the whole park to myself there.
0: Awesome. Cool. Body yeah. holding up. Okay.
2: Yeah. everything's everything's good today. Uh, today with, you know, practicing, kind of running on the lower calories or, or almost no calories. It definitely it was interesting. My heart rate seemed to spike a little bit and, uh, definitely still getting tired, but it was funny because, you know, in my head, I was thinking, oh man, I'm, I'm tired. Like this is walking time, but all I did is just lean forward and pick up my knees and you're running again. So it's nice. really just, it's kind of like, oh yeah, that's, that's just in my head. Like, of course the body wants to rest, you know, yeah. in a, in a fest like that. But, uh, yeah. So it was a totally different mindset of training where usually I'm got my tailwind, got my snacks. I'm like cranking along. But so to have that idea of like coming off a hard ride yesterday, going straight into this and, uh, but it was good. Nice. Was man. Great. Great day.
0: Cool. You're killing it, dude. Yesterday and today was your kind of your long ones, right? That was your days off of yeah. work. Okay, cool. Yep. Yeah. Dude, you're right on track. Well, for anybody yeah. listening, uh, this is my man Colin. And uh introduce yourself, my man. Tell everybody what you're doing this year and uh, let us know what's up.
2: Sure. Yeah, so my name's Colin Morris. Um, that's my Instagram handle too, it's just at Colin Morris. And uh basically I hooked up with Adam, uh fellow athletic brewing ambassador. And we kind of came across each other on Facebook and I was really just kind of getting back into running and kind of challenging myself to some pretty big goals and I'd run a half marathon, run a trail marathon, um, ran my first, first ultra and kind of just was trying to look for the biggest possible challenge I could find. And I, so I decided to sign up for Leadville and run it for Autism Speaks and raised $5,000 for them. And I, I knew I was going to be in for one um, because I literally was just almost like did the David Goggins thing. Like, I mean, I knew Badwater was not, I was not <laughs> Badwater yet, but right. uh, he just kind of Googled like toughest races in the US. And I just kind of fell in love with the the culture of Leadville and how it all came to be. And so I was like, boom, let's put it on the map. if We can make it happen. And then of course we met and I found out you uh, crew and coach and So one thing came to another and now, uh, you know, you're my coach and you're going to be crewing me at the race. And so we're at week 11 right now of just grinding out some really good training. And Mm -hmm. so got about probably another 20 weeks or so before the race.
0: Okay. You got it, man. You're right on track. You're going to, I can't wait for it, man. Um, I was a little nervous at first because you're like, I just started running six months ago and I signed up for the Leadville 100 and I'm like, Whoa, okay. That's a tall order. So like what inspired this? Like, was there, was there like one particular thing that just fired you up and you're like, okay, I want to, I want a huge challenge.
2: Yeah. So, uh, Uh-oh. It, it didn't really set in how big of things were happening both in my family life um, and at work. I mean, it was like throwing out the playbook on both fronts. And so I was just feeling this huge weight, um, you know, to to perform and to make things happen. And when I really couldn't, there was a lot that was out of my control. You know, we moved out to Nashville from California, uh, three years ago. And so, you know, we're kind of out here on our own, my wife, and then we have three kids, We've got two, four and six year olds And, um, but yeah, to be, to be quite honest, I have struggled with addiction in the past and I started drinking bourbon just a little bit here and there. Cause I really liked the flavor and, you know, there's a lot of people around here who who uh, enjoy you know some good bourbon and so, but pretty soon I I legitimately realized I was knocking back like two three four like a night like Monday night Tuesday night Wednesday night and and I was just going all right something's not really working here um you know this this isn't going to work and I was never an alcoholic you know I I struggle with drug addiction but not not alcohol as much and I just noticed it kind of making everything a little more challenging. And so I, I was literally smoking a cigar in the back of my house, listening to Can't Hurt Me uh, by David Goggins. You know, I found out him through actually Andrew Huberman, who's a neuroscientist. They talked about studying David and, and how just, you know, insane his ability to gut through stuff is. And so found both of those podcasts and was like, got to read this book. And so I read the book and I was just going, man, this, a lot of this rings true, you know, and a lot more on the mental side than the physical side. Mm-hmm. But I was sitting there going, man, uh, I mean, well, I, I, mean I, can, I can run a mile. Like, let's, let's do this. Like, what do I have to lose? Because it seemed like everything was kind of out of my control, work, at home. I was trying to make stuff happen and, and, I, and I couldn't. And so I just literally laced up what were 10-year-old shoes. So I was like, I'm not just going to go spoil myself with a pair of shoes. So I lace up the sneakers that are in the closet and I go run a mile and I was just like, all right, well, let's do it again tomorrow. And so pretty soon those just started to build. And I was so inspired by can't hurt me then got into just more running and people were like, Colin, you know, I think you might've found your stride, like no pun intended, but people were saying like, you're doing really well at this running stuff. Most people don't just jump in And in three weeks, run a half marathon and finish in under two hours, which I mean, that's not like, you know, that's not, um, elite or anything, but for being a beginner runner and not having any real knowledge or training, that was pretty good. So I kind of just kept rolling with things and, um, yeah, and that's when I found Western States and Leadville and kind of just the whole ultra running world and through David Goggins as well. And just hearing these stories of people running these great distances uh to me was something that was impossible and so while I was looking at my life and kind of my surroundings going man I don't know how I'm going to get through this year and all of this stuff I looked at these guys and I was like well I I definitely couldn't do that that's crazy but as I started to build these little runs and put them together and I realized um it actually kind of goes into one of my mental health diagnoses bipolar disorder Mm -hmm. um I thought, well, I'd never be able to run a hundred miler because you have to go overnight. And I don't know that I could sacrifice sleep because that can do a couple of things. It's definitely not, you know, um, it's not good to sleep deprive yourself with a mental health diagnosis like that. And as I began to build kind of one like healthy building block onto another, these possibilities just started becoming a much bigger reality. And so did my first a trail marathon, and it was the hardest thing I've ever done. But it proved to me so much that you can literally just put one foot in front of the other, and that's what I had to do. I mean, nothing of that. The plan was not good on that; like it did not go well. But I finished the race, and I felt the best I'd ever felt about almost anything. You know, aside from my my wedding day. That okay? It doesn't compare to that. That was that was the best day for the record. Um, but and then so I thought, well, let's do this. If I can, you know, if I can make this thing possible, let's uh, let's do a 100 miler. And what's the hardest one I could possibly get into? I didn't even know that, like, I didn't even know what ultra signup was. So I didn't even know of any other 100 milers. I just knew that there was Leadville, Western States, you know, Moab 240. And so I was kind of like, well, which one can I feasibly get into? And Leadville is the one. So oh, wow. long story short, but that's, that's kind of, that's where we're at.
0: that's inspirational, man. Um, do you find that running helps, uh, your mental health? Does it help with your, uh, bipolar disorder? Does it help you to to stay focused? Does it help you to stay in a better place on the day to day?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. One of the, um, one of the most important things and I've heard this for years, but it never really, uh, caught up with me and I never really put it to use was how important physical exercise is for any, I mean, for health in general, yep. just the everyday person we should all be healthy, in, but even more so for somebody with a mental health diagnosis or any sort of, anyone who's not neurotypical, you know, um, working through mental challenges. And so for me, um, there was this just floodgate of stuff that I couldn't handle and couldn't control. And, you know, my, my diagnosis goes back over 15 years ago. And so I've been managing it um, in a very healthy way for a long time, Mm. uh, with counseling and therapy, uh, cognitive behavioral, cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, is a big one. And so it's kind of like mentally, I had most of that dialed in, but the chink in my armor was when I could no longer control some certain aspects of my life. I began to feel more and more defeated, more and more like I was going backward in life, lower on the totem pole, like, not like, you know, but lower on the, well, I've come so far in my career and in my family, and now I'm just backpedaling and I'm on a treadmill that I'm just falling off of. I can't, I can't get ahead of myself. Hmm. And so as I picked up running and I became more active, I just kind of punched all of the, basically the negativity and the things that I was telling myself in the teeth and they start to go away. And so I think uh, the biggest thing is just helping me filter through, you know, like when you get out there for past like an hour once you're out there for two hours the things that whatever your mood is whatever that that current day held it just starts to drip away um i know that's very common for a lot of people um and yeah kind of i like the phrase that running is therapeutic but it's not therapy you know the the types of things that i deal with and and that are that are actual mental health diagnoses. you know you need actual counseling and and things like that but being able to get out there, get my heart pumping, you get back. And all of a sudden if you're having a, a crappy day. There's this new level of confidence that you didn't have before you went on the run. Mm-hmm. And then pretty soon you're looking at your watch and it's giving you these notifications and you're going, wow, I can't, I literally had no idea that I could do this and it just keeps building and building. So no matter what else is going on, whether it's the pandemic or things at home, you know, all of these things that I can't control, um, I'm able to control my movement. And when I do something like that, that gives accomplishment, it, it's a complete, it was a complete game changer.
0: Nice. That's pretty awesome, man. Yeah. Well, That's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show is because May is mental health awareness month. And, um, yep. so I wanted to talk to you about your, your bipolar disorder and just how that's affected your yep. life. Um, And I appreciate you coming on and and being open and and candid about it all. You said you'd be willing to talk about it. And and you're, you're more willing to talk about your mental health issues than I have been in the past. Like I've talked about pretty much everything on this podcast, except my own (laughs) mental health. (laughs) So, um, but you said your diagnosis was like 15 years ago. So how old were you at that time?
2: So I would have been, um, well, now my math is going to come into check here. Let's see. So it was probably 2007, which would have made me 23. Okay. Well, I was 23. Yeah. So about 15 years ago.
0: Okay.
2: And um, yeah, so that's, that's, that's when it was.
0: So what did things look like before you were 23? Like, what was life like? What was what, like, what was happening? And what made you want to go to a doctor and get this diagnosis or, or, you know, dig deeper into your head and figure out what's going on? Yeah, that's a great
2: question. So um, long story short, I had a pretty stable childhood, both parents in the home. But um, they my parents split up uh, when I turned 18. And I was getting high at the prime. um, And kind of just wanted to check out because, you know, everything that I like was my foundation was gone. And I just didn't know what to do. So I got high with my friends and kind of checked out. Mm -hmm. Um, And that worked for want I say worked I mean it didn't have any glaringly obvious issues probably, probably for a couple of years so when I turned from 18 to 21 I stayed in my hometown I'm from Napa California and I just stayed there and I was just in a fog because I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life I took some college classes I was working in restaurants and I was making decent money so on the surface everything was just kind of moving along um, and then there was this girl that I ran into that I really liked we ended up She was going down to Southern California to go to school. I uh, went as well, but like went to a different, you know, I moved into a different place. I was going to a different school. So we just kind of went down there together, that flopped, Uh, So I was stuck in LA by myself, but played music. And so I kind of stayed down there. So I I gave myself a year down there. Um, Even though it was really hard, I challenged myself to stay down there and figure stuff out. And then I came back up actually a year to the day, um, I came up and moved to San Francisco because I had a buddy there, okay. and I was still getting high. I was still working in this crazy high-stress restaurant, and um, I began to notice kind of like anxiety—just this, this—not like, oh, I'm not feeling well, like actual panic attacks, you know, heavy breathing, kind of almost like not really kind of going, wait, something's wrong, but you can't really put your finger on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I kind of took note of that and I started talking to people about it and just saying, hey, I, you know, I, don't, I don't think, I don't know what's going on. Like, do you know what might be going on? Because back then there was no conversations about anxiety or mental health. It was, it was something that people, at least in my circle, just didn't really talk about. Mm-hmm. So um, essentially what happened is some really interesting things happened, like lined up in the place that I was living and I wasn't taking care of my body Uh, very well at all I wasn't eating enough I wasn't drinking enough water and I was getting high and uh, effectively what happened is I got really paranoid that something like bad was going to happen in my apartment based on some things that I was seeing I was kind of like oh this is sketchy but it got to the point where you know uh, essentially I had what's known as a manic episode so whatever was happening around me to me was hype
1: things were
2: like a lot worse in my mind than they actually were um, and so I made my way to um my mom's house, which was across the Bay, so Concord, I was in San Francisco. So I made my way across because I was like, you know, this isn't working at this house where I was staying, and I needed to get get away. But uh that's when I kind of had a breaking point of just some really strange things that actually are well documented. So I had no idea at the time what was going on, but um You know, I took all my belongings with me because I thought I was moving out, but I just looked really strange on the bus and I didn't have any food or water. And like I said, I was hungry. So I was like asking people, hey, do you have any snacks or like, you know, this is a communal thing, right? We're just on the bus here in San Francisco. Everybody's cool, but that's not real typical behavior, you know? So between that and, and then, uh, I got on the bus or not the bus. I got on the, what they call BART Bay Area rapid transit. So it's a, it's a train that goes under the bay and um i had this feeling of like dang i i don't think i'm gonna make it like this this isn't good Uh, i'm not feeling well and so i was kind of talking myself through this and the next thing i know there was an officer tapping me on the shoulder saying uh hey are you are you doing okay and i was like yeah i'm fine what's up well we got you know somebody told us that you were talking to yourself and i was like oh i'm I'm totally cool man like i'm i'm not gonna cause any harm he's like well why don't you step off with me and so we got off and uh called my mom who's at the next stop Um, and he he actually let me get back on the train and we rode it together to the next stop where my mom picked me up and so I was just like I don't know what's going on and I had worked with a therapist in the past but nothing had ever really turned up so uh, as far as like signs or anything like that Mm -hmm. so I called my therapist just said hey this is what happened you know not really feeling super great. And he, he just said, hey, if, if, unless you're feeling like you're gonna hurt yourself or somebody else, you know, it's probably Saturday. He said, let's talk on Monday. And he said, if that does happen, you know, just go to the ER, no big deal. But if you do feel like you're gonna hurt yourself or somebody else, go to the ER. I thought, okay, that's easy, I can, I can do that. And uh, it did get kind of weird. I got, I, got, I kind of felt like I was, you know, wanting to hurt somebody and that, that was like really weird. And so I just said, Hey mom, let's you know, let's go. Cause you know, Tim said, if I'm starting to feel like this, go ahead and go in yeah. and she was like, cool. So we just, we just drove over. They did a drug test and kind of an eval and everything was fine. There was, there was nothing in my system, but weed. And so um, yeah, it, it wasn't anything too out of the ordinary. They didn't keep me there cause there was nothing too, too weird going on but they did refer me to a psychiatrist. So once I started detailing through the story Um, You know, the psychiatrist basically was able to say, okay, based on these factors, you had what's known as a manic disorder, indicative of bipolar two disorder, uh, which generally will manifest in uh, someone's like younger, like early 20s with a manic episode, and then it usually is treatable and then it will surface later in life, uh, more like in depression. So it's not that like up and down, you know, crazy in and out cycles. Like uh, from every hour you see somebody who's like ecstatic and then the next they're really down. It's much slower rolls than that. Okay. Um, So it's very treatable, but you have to be super intentional uh, about making sure you stay healthy. And Mm. so oddly enough, like fast forwarding, it seems like it was surfacing in the form of depression in these, in this past year. And that, so that's kind of funny. It's kind of like full circle. I, I received the front end of that. And now I kind of started to receive the back end of what they said, because now I'm in my mid thirties, um, which they said it would surface more in depression. And so now that I've attacked that with not just, you know, counseling, my wife and I do marriage counseling, but also, um, with this exercise, it, it just level has leveled things out quite a bit. So I know it's a, a long story, but, uh,
0: No, I'm interested, man. It's, it's interesting to me. I mean, you seem, um, you are very well adjusted and, uh, well-spoken. And so that's why I'm interested in it because bipolar disorder has some stigmas attached to it. And I'm just trying to figure it all out for, for myself. And I want listeners to figure it out too. And I want some light to be shown on this. So, no, I'm interested. Um, what was it like when you got the diagnosis? Was it like a breath of fresh air, or were you just totally freaked out, or what was that like?
2: Yeah, so it—I was freaked out because I had—I knew one person that, that that was bipolar, and I still remember the first time that that person told me that. I thought, like, I literally was like, oh, like weirdo. I was like, what is that even? Like, I don't even want to be around that, you know. So that was my own view because of my ignorance. I didn't know what it was. And so I just thought it was like, Oh, you know, I kind of want to stay away from that. And so it was really kind of like uh, a gut check because when I got the diagnosis, I still remember leaving that office, driving away in the car and kind of going, well, what does this mean for me now? You know, am I on like, like, can I still do the things that I wanted to do with my life? Or am I now limited by what I can go and do? Mm -hmm. Uh, And dating, a little bit further back, that wasn't my first, um, I don't think ADD is technically a mental health disorder, but it is indicative of your brain um, responding and reacting and acting differently than somebody without those characteristics. So between ADD and then the, the other thing that I deal with is called central auditory processing disorder. So it's kind of like dyslexia, but for sound. So for instance, if someone gives you an instruction, it could go in one ear, and just disappear before it even gets to like the part of your brain that you can decipher the information. Um, so I'd already had those two diagnoses. So it was, it felt like that, but it was kind of like third times the charm because the first one was like ADD. Okay. High school grades aren't real good. You know, that's fine. It makes sense. Go to college central auditory processing disorder. Okay. So I just hear things a little differently than other people. And I just have to, you know, reading comprehension is not that great, so I have to do, you know, take extra notes and qualify for a note taker and things like that. So um, it was no big deal, but getting that third one was like, wow, this is the big leagues. Like, what do I do now? Mm-hmm. You know, because you don't leave the office. Op- they don't. You don't leave the office, and they say, um, no, this is a real, you know, treatable thing. You're going to be good. Here's right. what we do. You just, up, up, up. Like, here's your prescription and. And on down the road you go it's literally like okay well let's try and figure this out so it was uh, a lot of testing of like medications to see if some if they worked, and that was really really hard um but uh so my i i distinctly remember telling my mom uh i said i'm sick of me like it was this moment of just when i was going through all these medications trying to get my life right. I'm sitting there with my mom, uh, in her car, you know, I feel like I'm being toted around like a kid again, who's sick. And I just was like, I'm sick of this. Like I'm sick of me. And so it was this hugely dark moment of feeling like, kind of like hopeless, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and she was extremely encouraging and super loving and I'm, you know, wouldn't be where I was if it wasn't for her support and, um, and everything like that. But, it was a, it was a big like pill to swallow to realize, okay, uh, my life's going to be different than I had envisioned it before.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. When did you get married?
2: So I got married. Uh, it would have been, we just hit uh, our eighth anniversary. Okay. So nice.
0: April
2: 13th. yeah, April 13th of 2013. So we've been married eight years now.
0: And And, uh, how did your diagnosis affect like your marriage, uh, when you guys were dating, we have to kind of come out and tell her what's going on and, and what does that, what does that look like?
2: So it's a totally, um, it's a God thing. It was, it was a super unique situation when that, when that stuff happened, um, I started going to church again. And so I met a lot of really great people. Mm -hmm. Um, but was really kind of worried. I didn't want to step into any like relationships or try and pursue any girls. Cause I was just trying to get my mind right.
1: Yeah.
2: And, um, but I met, you know, this girl that I thought was really cool and her name's Anna. And um, so we would just have these conversations and like, I was fresh off this thing happening. And so I was just telling people I was like, this is where I'm at. I had, you know, this just happened. Here's where I'm headed. Um, and what I want to do, and where I want to go, um, but I don't really know what else that looks like, it's the day-to-day journey, and so it was, it was really a welcoming, like, environment, and one of the people that was in that crew, Anna, is now my wife, and so it, it was, it was kind of, like, known very early on, um, by way of just me being kind of an open person, and mm. just kind of making it it made me feel more comfortable people just knowing who I am off the bat
1: yeah.
2: um, and and not having to like you know kind of try and hide it you know like in an interview process it's just kind of like hey here, this is this is what's up with me this is where I am and people are generally extremely like caring and and curious well like how did that happen you know and um, what does that mean now what does that you know mean next and so Um, it was kind of like a, a support, uh, group in a way. And so as we started dating, it really didn't affect much of anything because at that point I'd probably had probably two, two or three years of it being behind me. Mm. And so I'd begun to manage it pretty well. Um, I'd gotten on medication that was, you know, working really well for me and, um, I'd been through the ones that weren't working well. Um, I got to that point where I said, you know, you get to this weird place where, and it happens all the time. It's actually really um, sad in some cases, but kind of like, no, I think I'm better. You know, I think like, I'm good to go now. I don't need this medication. Yeah. And I did that. And, and it, it was going down that road and to where I just caught it. And I was like, Oh, yep. I was like, I'm doing that thing that people say, um, I'm better now. And so I kind of caught it before it got worse again, but it was, it was a pretty quick turnaround between like feeling like I was better. Um, and then realizing, Oh, I I need to continue this work that I'm doing to like keep my life on track. And so, um, I had already gone through that kind of that cycle. And then when I was coming back into like rebuilding my life, um, I think I kind of had just some of the wherewithal to realize, like, I'm not ready to be in a relationship right now. Um, and so that was that period where I was getting pretty chill and things were leveling out, um, and getting to know some really great people at the same time. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that you were drinking too. Was that prior to all this? And was that, and also the next question is, was that like a form of self-medication that you think you're doing?
2: Yeah, so that's a good question. I think the self-medicating aspect was very much so with the marijuana. Mm -hmm. Um, And it, I mean, I've seen it across the spectrum from people that aren't affected by it at all. They smoke and they don't even notice any difference all the way to like, you know, debilitating laziness and everywhere in between. And so I was kind of in that in-between where it was giving me some relief Um, but alcohol never really, um, my friends all drank, like they could put back forties, just like one after another. And that wasn't me. So, um, I never really got into drinking, but that was kind of the interesting thing about getting back into bourbon. So even though that was so recent and I've had, you know, such sobriety, I mean, I used to smoke a pack of cigarettes a day. I used to smoke, you know an ounce or so a week like which isn't maybe a ton in today's terms but for you know (laughs) that that's enough to to make things a little challenging so yeah that was definitely a self-medicating aspect but um yeah i didn't really get into um bourbon until i got out here okay and that was actually pretty a pretty interesting thing because that goes to um kind of like what David Goggins talks about in his book, Can't Hurt Me, he would basically do anything to get people to like him when he was in high school. And so he was just striving for that. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until like a year or so in, and like, you know, this last year, where I noticed that I was having more than just one or two, like every random once in a while, pretty soon I have a cabinet where I'm collecting these different bourbons and drinking them, you know, daily, Mm -hmm. um, that I went, wow, I I really kind of got into this to like on the on the guise of building community or you know becoming friends with new people which I did but I did that at the expense of my own health because ultimately I let that I kind of like let the like the crack in the door back open um, to you know potentially um, being unhealthy again you know. Cause I think there are just seasons, especially for, for everyone. But, um, I mean, you're never going to be perfectly fine or, uh, you know, in a complete shamble, like you're going to be somewhere in the middle, kind of floating back and forth. But, um, yeah, I kind of noticed that self-medicating aspect coming back. Uh, and I, I literally just said, this ain't working. And, and I, I got rid of all of it. I just cleared the cabinet out my wife was like blown away because some of them were like $150, $200 bottles. Right. And, and, uh, you know, I probably had 15 bottles or whatever. And I just made the decision because I just saw that same thing happening. I was like, no, this isn't
0: mm. like,
2: this isn't going to happen. So.
0: That's good that you had that wherewithal because you know, other people go down some pretty nasty paths with yeah. the whole self-medicating thing. Um, yeah, it's incredible. It's uh, it it's a crazy journey, man. Um, how does this affect you, like on the day to day right now? Yeah,
2: so um, I would say, I would say that at this point, having gotten through, you know, that time, I would say, you know, Jan is probably like February of 2020, up until maybe, probably leading close to December. So that, that being a block of time that was extremely challenging for me now. Um, I would say I don't have any adverse effects or, or like mood swings or anything like that, but I'll just notice that on some days I'm a lot more tired than others. Um, and kind of my barometer is for like, for instance, depression is if you, uh, Like if I can't get out of bed, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes, um, that can be indicative of a couple of things, but there's been days on the weekend where I, I don't feel like getting out of bed now for a while I was working six days a week and, you know, probably overextending myself, but, um, it essentially comes down to self-care. So if I'm, uh, if I'm taking care of myself, getting exercise, sleeping, um, you know, I sleep between eight and nine hours a night. That seems to be my sweet spot. But if I get that sleep and I'm eating well and I'm hydrating and I'm kind of checking myself on emotion and, and what might be happening, then I pretty much stay in the clear. But when um, generally, if I let things get to me or I'm not sleeping enough, it, it, can, it can ramp up pretty quick to just irritability. And so that's the whole thing with bipolar disorder is you're just managing your symptoms. But it's also it can be a pretty difficult thing because when you get sick or you get the flu, you know, you're sick for a couple of days or a week, and you get tissues and home remedies. But with bipolar disorder, uh, it's for life, and so it is a 24/7 job to make sure that you're taking really good care of yourself just to be at a baseline. Um, so it can be it can be a lot of work.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. No, it sounds like it. Um, and so if I, if I understand you correctly, you said you were diagnosed with bipolar disorder too. Yeah. And so that's not the, the, the super manic high ups, low downs throughout the day. That's, it, it's more of a little bit more level, but it manifests itself in depression and anxiety from time to time. Is that right?
2: Yeah. So, you know, I'm not a mental health professional, but in my own studies and, and understanding um, essentially Uh, bipolar one is the one is, is what people are most familiar with. And generally um, you'll have manic episodes that could last like two weeks. So, so for two weeks, somebody could be on, on cloud nine where they've just come up with the newest, greatest idea to make money Mm -hmm. or You know they've realized that they only need to sleep two hours a day because they can get so much work done um, if if they're not sleeping, right? And so this is something you're seeing for like two weeks. These are these big episodes, and generally will will finish with hospitalization. So somebody, either a loved one, um, says like, "Hey, you know we need to take you in," or they realize like this light bulb moment, "Oh, something's wrong," and they go in. Um, and then get help and, and receive treatment. And then on the adverse side, also depression. So you could have a two week period where somebody can't get out of bed. They have no hope. They have no matter the circumstances, right? You, you feel as though your life's over or something to that nature. And so, um, that's kind of like the, that's the main bipolar one, uh, traits and characteristics. Then uh, with bipolar two, they have what's called hypomania. And so essentially I had, when I said a manic episode, that was um, technically hypomania because it was, they call it hypo because it's a hyper version of a manic episode. So it's shorter, uh, it peaks really quickly and then it usually dies off. Um, And that's generally the only main episode that, um, that a person with bipolar disorder two will, uh, will experience is that main major uh, manic episode, they get the diagnosis, and then it's just a matter of managing symptoms with that potential for uh, a dip later, later in life. So.
0: Okay. okay. And are you managing this with like antidepressants or anti-anxiety med- medication? Or um, what, what exactly is the medication you're taking?
2: Yeah, so I take two medications. Um, I take Zoloft and Lamictal. Zoloft is an antidepressant. It's a very Mm -hmm. low dose.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, So that's kind of just to keep things from going too far down. And then the Lamictal is actually what's known as a mood stabilizer. And so it kind of just keeps a floor and a ceiling on on your mood. Okay. And that can sound very like um, difficult to understand. Cause I remember when it was first told me, I was like, wait a minute, you're going to take away my personality. Like, what do you mean you're going to put a floor and a ceiling on? Um, and so, and honestly, some of the, the medications I, I took did make me feel really numb. Oh, and sure. so, you know, that's actually, I just want to say for maybe anybody that's listening, that that's part of it. And as long as you do it with a doctor and with supportive loved ones, like, if you can make it through that stage, you can get to a place where um, you do feel normal. You don't feel like you sacrificed any of your Um, because I'm generally like a really uppity guy and I like to have a lot of fun and and cut up and joke around. And so I was worried that I would lose that part of me. Mm -hmm. Um, But those two medications just seem to be the cocktail that uh, works with my, my body. And it's kind of like dieting. Um, Some people eat meat. Some people don't eat meat. Some people do fruits. Some people do only veggies. I mean, like there's so many different ways to diet and to treat your body. And People just have to find what works for them. And so doing it, of course, I I've never made medication changes without talking to my doctor and all and all of that because I just frankly it just scares me too much. I just don't want to mess with it. I'll take his, you know, approach and then I know what I can trust. Right. And um, but yeah, that's that's what I take. And uh it seemed to work well. I've been on the same doses for a long, long time. Okay. And it's not the kind, of, I'll say this too, it's not the kind of medication where you take it if you're having symptoms. So right. sometimes with depression, you might take an antidepressant. If for instance, you notice like a uh, episode coming on or something like that. And I haven't experimented with that. Um, I kind of, I wanted to get into a, a rhythm that was predictable. And mm-hmm. so, and and that's the kind of medication that I'm on. Um, Cause the other, the other type isn't necessarily um, bad or anything like that. It's just a little bit, it takes a little bit more behavior management because you have to decide, oh, I'm not feeling well, I'm going to take one. And I was just, I, I don't want to go based on mood. I just have the same medicine every day. And then I manage those moods with, you know, whatever, whatever might be happening.
0: Yeah. How long did that, uh, like sort of feeling out process take for you to try different medications and to finally find the right ones that work for you? Was that a long process?
2: So if I remember correctly, it was around a month.
0: And the reason
2: is they have what's called um, like a titration process. So for instance, one of the ones I'm on now has a three I think it's a three or a taper would be a, another term, but essentially you step up your dose. So you really, uh, you know, for three weeks, you don't really know if it's even going to work. So in those right. first couple of weeks, you're kind of going, is this thing working? I don't mm-hmm. really know where we're at. And then you get to week three and then you're like, is this thing working? No, It doesn't feel good. Okay. Well, so then you got to titrate back down off of that one to try something different. And so not all of them are like that, but, um, so that, that's kind of what I think draws it out a little bit longer than just like trying an aller- allergy pill and getting results within a couple of days.
0: For sure. So you got pretty lucky. You must've tried what, one or two medications before you found the ones that worked. So and that's
2: no. It was probably it was probably three or four. Okay. Um, yeah, there was there was probably three or four. Um, again, the the like the thirty day period is is kind of just a, a general. I, I'm I'm almost like curious now, but I don't I don't remember exactly how how long it was. Okay, but I do know it's about three or four because I remember a good like week or two period um, of really feeling like, man, this, this doesn't feel great. You know, I don't really know what to do from here. Mm-hmm. Um, but then things started to level out. So it's probably closer to two minutes, I guess.
0: Okay. Okay. Um, <clears throat> do you have to be adamant about your sobriety <clears throat> in order to keep yourself mentally healthy? And do you worry about that? Um, you know, spiking or lowering your moods in the long-term? Is that something that you're concerned with? Or um, or do you even consider yourself 100% sober? Or where are you at with that?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I think because... So I would to answer the question just directly first. Yeah, keeping sobriety is huge um, because it's just an additional... Uh, any upper or downer is a mood-altering substance. And oh, so it's like I said, however you want, if you're using a substance that's altering your mood, well, then you can get into self-medicating. Uh, you know, if your mood is down and you find that something makes you feel better or if it's even a downer, but just having that in your system makes you feel numb, even though it's bringing you down. So it gets into that behavior um, that you have to manage. So yeah, and I think at this point in my life, like I said, I realized that even though, because I, I would talk to my counselor, I would talk to my psychiatrist about it. Hey, you know, I'm, I'm enjoying bourbon with friends. And he'd say, well, how's that going for you? You know, and there was there was really no warning signs. He knew the medications I was on. i would become very adamant about asking lots of questions. So I would kind of like throw everything at him and, and say, all right, now you tell me, because if you're seeing, if, if you see something I'm not seeing, let me know. Mm-hmm. And so it really wasn't even him that made any sort of mention. I was the one who pulled the pluck on it. Um, but I think at this point, that's, that was really kind of the final straw of like dipping my toe in the water of saying, oh, I can have a drink or, uh, you know, just socially with friends or whatever. Um, yeah, keeping, keeping sobriety is got to be the most important thing mm-hmm. that I think somebody with a mental health disorder can do to mm-hmm. keep themselves in a healthy place.
0: Totally. Well, it probably affects the medication somehow too, don't you think?
2: It does. Yeah. And so that, and actually, that's actually a really good point. So I had a, uh, I had a two drink maximum. um, For any time I was having a drink, I would, I would not have any more than two drinks in a night. Like I said, once it became two, the pores became a little taller. Now we're at three, but kind of feeling good and, you know, no adverse effects really. Um, But essentially what, The only uh, real side effect that my medication had with it was um, the potential for dizziness. So it didn't manifest for me in that way. I would just get really tired. And so, um, but again, that's not, I don't want to exist in a tired, lethargic state, you know, that, um, so I was justifying it at the time. I I totally, you know, can see in hindsight that uh, for me, not that I want to demonize enjoying a beverage, but for me that was something that was was not the right choice.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Is it common for people with bipolar disorder to feel like they're getting better and I want to get off my medication now? It seems like you like I've heard about that happening a lot of times and then bad things happening whether it's someone being manic or even suicide like it's yeah. it seems like that happens is it, is it like a common thing for Yeah. Someone with, with your mental health issues, just to get to that point where it's like, I think I'm better now. I think that I've solved this puzzle. Yeah. I think
2: it, I think it is a a really common problem. You know, I don't have a whole lot of insight into others' journeys, but I, we do see people that are, um, usually leaning more toward an unhealthy place when they decide. Like even though they are feeling good or they they feel like they've gotten to a place of, of full health, um they're usually not making that decision with like counsel from their doctor. Cause I've had like, my doctors ask like, um I mean this isn't any sort of like weird brag or anything, but you know, oftentimes if I had to switch doctors or I moved, they'd say, well Colin, like what do you need? from us or like, you know, at one point I had a doctor say, you're probably our highest functioning patient, like in our practice. Um, and so I kind of just got used to that rhythm. So I could see it would be very easy to have that conversation of like, yeah, doc, well, like, you know, what can we do to reduce, reduce things? And, and I've had doctors ask, like, do you feel good on the medicine? Do you want to reduce or is there anything you want to change, which there's nothing wrong with, uh, you know, if you're walking through that with your doctor, But I always felt that um, I'd gotten to a place of health Mm
1: -hmm.
2: on the medication that I was, and um, I had just that, just enough of a touch of like going off of it after that first like six months or a year of being on medication. And so for me, it just, there was never an attraction to um, think like, I want to rid myself of this. Um, I even had uh it's actually funny, I had uh a health, was it oh it's for life insurance. So my premiums are higher because of statistically, you know, people with mental health seem to have shorter lifespans. It's just the way that it is. Mm-hmm. Um doesn't matter if you're high functioning or not. Once you once you have the diagnosis, you know, you're in. Um and he even asked, like, it was so weird too, because he was almost like, can't that be cured though? almost kind of like, cause I was trying to negotiate a lower rate. I was saying like, man, is there anything you can do? Like I'm pretty darn healthy. And he was kind of saying like, yeah, the only thing really keeping you in the rate bracket you're in is that diagnosis. And he goes, but can't that like be removed? And I was like, man, I only wish bud, like, no, it can't. Um, I think you can manage your symptoms. And again, I'm sure medicine is evolving so fast and we know so little about the brain. Um, there may be ways to, um, I don't know, remove the diagnosis, but for me, once, ha- once you have that episode, that's kind of what set the trajectory for the rest of things. Yep. So, um, so for me and, and my journey, uh, it, it's something that I will always kind of live at home base. And then that's not my identity, but that's, that's always going to be kind of at home base. And I'm going to, I'm going to bounce things that are happening off of making sure that I'm doing the right things to stay healthy.
0: Totally. Totally. I mean um if it ain't broke don't fix it, right? Like if everything's going right in your life it, and yeah. you know yeah, I, your relationships are good, family life is good, work is good. It's like why would you why would you try and alter that or change that in any way? Um yeah, yeah. if you're yeah, and you mentioned that um uh you go to church and you're a man of faith as well. How does that play into this? Um, I mean, I'm a man of faith as well. And so I'm just curious, like, um, what that looks like for you.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, it can be, it can be tricky, um, in a couple of ways, because depending on who you're around, um, you know, you could be in a culture of like, well, um, you know, you, you shouldn't need medication. Like God can heal you. Right. right. You know, And I, I do, I've, I've seen some crazy miracles. Trust me when I say that I know a God that can do some miraculous things. Um, But to, to the degree that the social construct of decisions made around whether you should be on medication or not versus what kind of help you should get. I mean, in some circles, it's not even believed that you should share any of your you know you shouldn't go for counsel like you should have everything you need to be able to counsel yourself essentially right right. so it can be very it can be a tricky landscape i think i've been fortunate to be with people um both with pastors and friends and family that are kind of like of the of the format that i heard this story and it's probably been shared a million times in a million different ways but there's a dude drowning in the ocean right and he's you know waving Somebody help me, help me, help me. And, you know, uh, a boat comes by and, he, and he's like, Hey, jump in, man. I, I'll save you. And the guy's like, No, 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 it's fine. God's going to save me. He's like, All right, man. You know, paddles on. Another boat comes, same thing. Third time, a helicopter literally flies over and is like, Hey, you know, grab this rope. He's like, No, no, God's going to save me. Well, the guy drowned, gets up to heaven and he's like, God, oh, why didn't you save me? And he's like, I sent you two boats and a helicopter, right? Um, and so the way that I had that described to me is like, that's, that could in your situation be the prescriptions you're on. So, yeah, I might not have a miraculous healing of all of my symptoms or, or things like that, or my diagnosis removed, but I, there are options that are totally, um, in my opinion, and in most of the medical health fields, um, studies, you know, doable, treatable, healthy for you and not, uh, don't have crazy adverse consequences. You know, right. there are small side effects, but, uh, for the most part, um, I've been in, been in circles where that's been encouraged, you know, cause I, I know where I know where my faith lies and I know what I believe. Um, uh, but that doesn't mean that I don't make different decisions. Like, well, I might eat something differently, or I might ingest something like, a medicine or a pill or, or things to, to make my life here on earth better, because mm. there's not going to be perfection here, you know, we're going to be, we're in a place where we're, um, you know, we're in a flawed world.
0: Totally. Yes, we are. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I'm trying to get a, a kind of a broad scope of this. And this might be a little bit more of a personal question. Um, I'm trying to understand, like, basically like your marriage and, and how, um, this kind of how this works in your marriage, like, has your wife seen you like in some sort of a manic episode or really depressed or like, um, like I said, this is kind of personal and I don't know if I'm wording this right, but like, what's the worst your wife has ever seen?
2: No, that's a good question. Um,
0: Okay. Anna, and you want to come in here? No. <laughs> but, <laughs> right. I'm sure she might have some stories for us, right? Yeah. No, <laughs> I know my girl so, has a lot of stories about me. <laughs> yeah.
2: No, she's so, she'd be like, no, he's great. Everything's fine. <laughs> like, not bad. No.
0: Well, um, like we said, you're high functioning. So I'm sure that most of the right. time everything is good, but uh, you know, yeah. I'm sure that everything's exactly. not perfect.
2: Right. So uh, I will say that I know it can be challenging to be married to me, Mm -hmm. to be close to me, Mm -hmm. um, because there will just be head scratcher moments where I might be in a mood or, or tired or not communicate the best. And that can make it really challenging for Anna as my partner to kind of say, um, you know, like, well, I want to have grace on you because I know you might not be having the best day but uh also like that kind of hurt that kind of hurt or that that was kind of messed up what happened Mm -hmm. um or just can't understand maybe why i'm doing or saying something that could seemingly be insignificant but we know communication is so tricky so from body language to tone of voice and then um so i think the biggest place i've noticed it is when um I am either tired or, you know, in this past year, I think there have been times where I just hit the couch at the end of the day. And so, and I can't, I don't even mutter as much words as like, hey, how's it going? You know, or, hey, how was your day? I'm just so flattened because I gave everything I had at work. And here's what's funny is because we all have these, um, these days these are just normal things. I'm I'm normal, just like everybody else, in the sense that I go through ups and downs at work and things like that. But there can be uh, really challenging times where, for instance, she's thinking like, you know, man, I wish you you know help me out with the kids, and I'm just going, I can't even get up. Right. Like I got I have nothing inside me that's gonna bring me up to a place where I can read a bedtime story or whatever. And so that can be really challenging for her because on one hand, she wants to have grace and say, like, I I understand that he's not necessarily in control of his energy levels. Um, But then there's the other human side of it, the human element of like, I don't really care. Like, can't you just get up and help me anyway? You know, like I get that you're tired. Um, Right. And so really what I've noticed is that it can be, it can be a delicate balance of having, Uh, grace and empathy Um, but it requires I would say a hefty level of communication Um, I try and do it on the front end of saying where I'm at on in any given moment or or time Um, because that's kind of like me setting the stage for maybe how I'm doing that day Uh, for her that might be that might be an emotional overload just for start like whoa you know I can dial those things in and say I know what's going on today you know here's where I'm at and for her it can be well that's inconvenient because I really needed your help tonight you know <laughs> like yep. but since she takes care of our kids and she also you know takes really good care of me you know with just just as a, a good husband or good wife does you know does things for their spouse mm-hmm. um, but uh, it can definitely make it challenging when I would say like a mildly depressive episode hits, and she's tired too. Mm -hmm. So it kind of just adds a little bit, but, um, on days that I'm then feeling better, you know, I do what I can with my energy to kind of pay it back. You know, um, if I've got the extra energy to do, do something. And it can be a slippery slope because it's not like she expects it or I owe her something, but it can be the thing of like, you know like I'm running these races now like I, I, I know how much more I have left in the tank. so if I'm if I'm feeling down and I'm and she's taking care of a lot of stuff, but the next week my energy starts to come back and I can just knock out some stuff that I know would really take it off her plate. it kind of we've gotten into this ebb and flow of I guess just being gracious on each other and I, I hope. If this sounds like we've got it all figured out, we don't by any means. We are so far from perfect. It's a learning experience every day. I mentioned we're in marriage counseling. Like that's, I mean, we've been probably for about nine, 10 months now we've been, you know, meeting with our counselor weekly over the phone and just dialing these things in. I mean, it's, it's almost like a race strategy or, or you're, you're like pacing, like you have to figure out what needs to be true for this to happen and this to happen and and you have that plan and you set it up, but when th- things don't go that way, you know it's like, well, what are we going to do now to reformulate? Mm-hmm. And so,
0: mm-hmm. totally.
2: Yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> yeah,
0: no, it does. It does. It sounds like um, you know, you've had enough time under your belt where you've kind of got this figured out. You know, like we mentioned before, you're high functioning and and um, yeah, there's there's been a, a period of adjustment where you've sort of got it dialed in to a certain degree and that totally answers my question. Um, those times when like you come home from work and you're just dead and you can't hardly even say anything and you just drop down on the couch. Is that like a depression for you? Or so like depression for me isn't debilitating or anything like that, but I've definitely experienced it off and on. And it's usually like, yeah, really exhausted and irritable. And in the moment I can't identify it as, Oh, I'm depressed right now. I'm just like tired and just in a, in a mood, you know, but then like three, four days later, when I've gotten my, back to normal, I look back and I say, totally. Oh, I was definitely depressed. Like that was, yeah. Yeah, that was depression. Is that how it is for you?
2: Yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head with that. Okay. Um, and it's funny that three to four day Mark is pretty similar because you can kind of gut it out for three or four days, but it's that third and fourth day that you come home and you're flattened that you start to realize something's off. Yeah. And so, um, I don't think I've ever come home and said, Hey babe, I'm, I'm depressed today. That's why I'm going to lay down. You know? Right. Right.
0: right. Yeah. That's what I was wondering. Yeah. Me neither.
2: (laughs) Yeah. It, it, you know, it's funny like that. So it really just, and that's why it's that almost like daily inventory, like systems check. All right. What do we got going on? How are we feeling? And usually when things are busy and you're just moving right along is when that creeps in and you miss it. Um, And then pretty soon you'll like start to catch a comment that you make and go, I was kind of out of character for me or, or whatever the case is, or you missed the alarm clock a few too many times. And the things start to kind of just pile It's almost like an injury. That's like swelling. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you kind of come back and go, okay. That wasn't, that wasn't an intentional choice on my part. That was something that I, I was doing my best to work through and I may not have done the best. Um, actually that can be kind of crazy too because then you feel bad like you can almost feel like uh sort of guilty for having been depressed because you see what it does to your partner when when you're not at your best Mm -hmm. and so that kind of brings in a whole whole nother element you really have to learn to be self-accepting of what's going on with yourself otherwise um it can be a, a trap of just feeling bad about the fact that you're
0: feeling bad totally yep Yep. So it helps if we have understanding partners too, which it yeah. sounds like we both do. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you, do you worry about, um, like passing this on genetically to your kids? Is that a concern for you or, or, um, is that something you talk over with doctors or is that something you not, don't even think about?
2: So early on, so before I had kids, um, there was something about having to take medicine every day. And I thought, man, someday I'm going to have to explain to my kids like, yeah, daddy takes medicine every day because he needs it or whatever the case was. So I kind of had this, I dreamed this idea up that, you know, things were going to be difficult. Um, and of course now having, having kids, like they don't, they don't care. They love you so much. Right. Like the fact that you, and you can do not they're, when they're under five, it's like, a a dog you know that you could you just come in the door and they're like excited to see you just by the fact that you're there Mm -hmm. um so you wouldn't i wouldn't have expected that you know prior to having kids but what we know is that some there is some genetic elements that are that are traceable with uh with bipolar disorder um there are also lots of studies that show essentially like what happened to me. I had many um, outside factors. So contributing uh, all these little pieces kind of had to line up for me to just kind of go
1: ding,
2: like have just like kind of break is like a fuse broke in my brain. Um, so my the way I've distilled it down in my head with my kids is The thing that worked for me is both my parents loved me deeply um, and unconditionally, no short of of their challenges, you know, and some some other things that did happen to me in my childhood that were pretty rough, but I knew that I could count on them um, even if stuff was really crappy. And so I've just had, I've just resolved to the fact that I'm going to do the best I can to be there for them, be present, and show them unconditional love as much as possible. So like my six-year-old, Ayla, she feels everything. You know, she's a lot like me, hard on her sleeve, you know, um, and she feels everything very, very deeply. I mean, it's unbelievable, like the amount of empathy and understanding she has. And it's also very, very challenging. You know, she feels things so deeply it can sometimes be hard to get her to you know, do something as simple as like, hey, you know, it's time to go brush your teeth. And that's just kids in general. Um, and, and so kind of the way I've distilled it down is I can't control what, ha- what is in them already, um, you know, what may be genetic, but I can make an environment um, to the best of my ability that is stable so that if they aren't feeling stable, they're not worried where they're gonna go to find stability they know that they can have it, you know, in my arms, like that's, and, and to what degree that they want to use that or need that, that is going to be up to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've just kind of had to resolve to the idea that um, I can only do what I can do and, <clears throat> and make it an open topic, you know, something that is okay to talk about. It's okay to talk about our feelings. Like, oh, you, you wanted to punch that kid in school today? those are some big feelings. Like, tell me more about that. Mm -hmm. Was there something that happened or were you just feeling angry? Like, you know, and so trying to encourage that, um, because I didn't get a lot of that growing up. So I really bottled stuff in. I didn't talk about anything, despite how open I am now. This is me. Now, this is my, this is the column 2.0. Um, I very closed away and, and didn't talk about much at all. So, um, I want that to be an environment that they know that they can trust here. And then hopefully they'll bring elsewhere as well, you know, that they will then show empathy to others that are maybe in similar situations. Cause that just, it just diffuses stuff. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's kind of how I, I view the mental health with kids or my kids in specific.
0: For sure. And you still attend uh, counseling. You still have like a psychiatrist.
2: So I do, um, I only have to see him, I I only go to him, my psychiatrist Because for people who don't know therapy, um, therapists can't prescribe medicines, they can only um, essentially walk through conversation and counsel and, you know, behavior with you. And then a psychiatrist is able to actually prescribe medication for symptoms of an issue you're having. Um, And so I only see my psychiatrist once every three months. Uh, unless I feel like I want to talk to them more. Um, I've had times where they said, well, you know, we'll see you in six months, or or give me a call if you need anything in the meantime. And that's just more of just to check in to make sure everything's good before they prescribe my next because uh, I usually get my medications every 90 days. Yep. Um, but generally the uh, if I wasn't if we weren't doing marriage counseling, I would be seeing, I'd be talking to my therapist. You know, more often.
0: Okay. Um,
2: But generally, we'll we'll chat through things that affect both Anna and I mutually. Um, And it's also just a place I can spill everything out that I don't tell anyone else, and we can talk through it if need be. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Did you grow up like I grew up just like thinking that like therapy is for, for, for pussies and like, (laughs) like, um, you know, I grew up on like, you know, the Rambo movies and the Rocky movies and, you know, we don't talk about our feelings. We don't go to therapy. We just figure it out, man. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, what's funny the like, here was my, here was my picture of a therapist. Do you remember um i don't know if you remember in the movie the santa claus but there was there was the guy like so there was the guy that was married to the girl right so there's the whole family but then the the husband is like this nerdy therapist and he's always getting made fun of for his sweaters and he's always like
1: how does that make you feel <laughs> right like
2: he's just the, the picturesque like and it was in the 90s and i was like yeah I was like therapists are idiots like right. they charge people to talk yeah it <laughs> so i had this idea that um yeah you didn't talk about that stuff like mm. just figure it out yeah and so yeah that's definitely i think i think we grew up similarly there
0: totally yeah Yeah, I haven't really realized until the last few years how much um, just talking it out with, you know, whether it's a therapist or for me, it's it's a recovery sponsor or just friends, just calling up friends that I haven't talked to in eight, 10 years and just being, you know, to get out of my head, sometimes I have to ask other people what's going on in their life. How are you doing, man? Tell me your problems, you know, and it's almost like I start trying to help them through their stuff and that helps me to get out of my head. So it's like just talking to people, just like it helps so much. And, uh, I've always been up till just recently, a couple of years ago, like not a talker, wasn't into, I mean, I almost never talked on the phone. Like I I would text people, but I wasn't into having conversations with people. I hated the phone, you know, and I certainly wasn't doing Zoom. I mean, that's why I started a podcast was just to get myself out of my comfort zone and start getting into these long form conversations. And yeah. uh, so, but it's it, it helps so much just to sort of get that steam out of the teapot, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, what are uh, some of like the the prejudices or the stereotypes about um, mental health or or bipolar disorder that that you would like to clear up, if there are any?
2: Yeah, I would say uh, the biggest one is like we're not crazy. I think that's the, I think there could be a big fear that if somebody has a mental health disorder, like you never know if they might pop or, you know, and, and I, I can honestly tell you, those are such few and far between cases. Um, more people than, you know, have a mental health diagnosis or some things that are going on. And so don't be afraid of it. And you don't have to fix it. You, you won't be able to fix it, but you can listen. Mm. So I think the biggest thing that, if, if I could encourage people to do, um, is it, when somebody uh, maybe confides in you about an issue or they say, Yeah, I'm going through this thing, ask them about it. And if they're not open to talk about it, of course, you know, you wanna be respectful, but just by you asking, um, and being curious, like the simplest question of well, what's that like for you? Just showing an openness that you don't know what they're going through, but that doesn't mean that you can't be there next to them while they go through it. And that's literally the definition of, uh, empathy. Um, but it's not sympathy like, Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Or cause most of the time people with mental health disorders, like, we, we don't want you to treat us like a baby or like, oh, they ha- they're always like moody and, oh, what's it going to be this time? You know, treat us with like empathy, realizing that I have it different than you. And that's not a bad thing for either of us. But you can, but if you, if you can sit by me or take a phone call from me and, and just realize that it's not like, oh, hey, you know, good, good to hear from you. Um, yeah, man. All right. Talk to you later. But sitting there and letting there be some dead silence after you say, how are you really doing? Mm-hmm. You know, I think can be huge because um, it, it has been in my life and I've noticed it on the flip side because I now do that. I almost think of bipolar disorder as kind of like my superpower because it's mm. taught me so much empathy mm. when I talk to people. And I, I've been in sales for many years as well, service and sales for many years. There's like this insane level of empathy that I feel when talking to someone, so I I don't skip over little cues that maybe things aren't going that great, and you don't just say, oh, are you having a manic attack? You know, (laughs) like you don't just hit them straight on the head with certain things, but you just listen. And you know, when you're talking to somebody on the phone, you say you say things that might just key in the ability to have the conversation continue long enough for for somebody to say something that they've been wanting to say or you know you're just kind of laying a foundation um for for there to be more open communication Mm -hmm. and um yeah it can be it can be good and it can be actually kind of hard sometimes too because some people don't want to talk about it so you have to know your boundaries i think boundaries are huge as well you know knowing if you kind of throw the rock in the pond or you know throughout the line uh, to chat you kind of notice maybe something's happening and they're not open to it you just got to be able to move on and and still stay there with them in it but not press the issue so it's a delicate balance um, I think but biggest thing with empathy is just being able to be there for somebody no matter the outcome whether if they're in a good mood or a bad mood you're just there to be there for them whatever that might mean even if it's just a phone call
0: yeah yeah (sighs) You have a big, uh, a big race coming up this year. I want to talk yeah, about man. that a little bit too. For
2: um,
0: sure. So I'm curious, like, obviously this is the biggest physical thing you've ever done. And, uh, there's a lot of runners listen to this. And so either people have been there or are there. So, um, and I'm interested in this, this portion of it as well, man. So like, I'm curious if, if you're just looking at. Leadville as, as the next big goal and I have to get this thing done and I'm not looking beyond that. Or are you looking beyond that? Like two years down the road, five years down the road, I want to do this race or I want to expand here in my life, or this is what I want to do with my career. Or how do you sort of map that out?
2: Yeah. So kind of the way that I do, cause I'm a, I'm a big like hobby person and I love going after huge goals and achieving them coming out to Tennessee was probably my biggest um, achievement of like moving my family 2,300 miles uh, away that I thought that would never happen. Why did
0: you choose Tennessee by the way?
2: Oh, it's a good question. So um, I came out here to work for Dave Ramsey. Okay. Um, yeah. And so it's uh, handling finances is something I was never good at, but I started budgeting based on some stuff I learned from uh, from Dave, he's a financial you know advice guy. Got it. And um, once I saw how it changed my life, I started teaching other people through a class he has called Financial Peace. Oh. And so um, once I started doing that and kind of getting a front row seat to seeing people turn their lives around and get out of debt and you know all this and that and the other, um, I was like, well, why not? Why don't we do this full time? And mm-hmm. so I went to work for went to work for Dave. And okay. um, the reason I consider it such an accomplishment is because the statistics are that you have a better chance of getting into Harvard than you do to work there. Um, and it doesn't mean I'm super smart. It just means that I had a story that was relevant to the product that I would be working with. Mm. Um, but it's just really hard to get an interview. They have like 14,000 applicants a year. And so I just felt very fortunate to get there and then nail the job. Long story short during the pandemic, things changed there. And so I did end up leaving, um, but uh, yeah, so that's how we got to Tennessee.
1: Okay. Um,
2: but the, oh, in regard to choosing choosing this, I kind of decide on a, on a goal and then I live in that goal. Mm-hmm. Okay, what would it look like? What would need to be true for this to happen? And then I dial my way towards it. Um, it's kind of like beginning with the end in mind, right? So I, uh, I kind of was just flirting with the idea each little race I joined up to and as I started training, then once I made the jump to actually signing up for Leadville, um, I feel like we're just getting started. I mean, I'm, I have, of course, I already have other, I mean, who wouldn't love to run Western, Western States or Moab 240 or anything in Moab, even a, a shorter distance race, I mean, Cruel Jewel is just around the corner, you know, coming up here pretty soon. Yep. There's so many races and so many places to see. So I really feel like I'm just getting started with this. Um, I mean, I definitely uh, I chose a big one, you know, like this is a this is a big race, but <clears throat> no matter the outcome you know, I have um, a deep desire to make this, to run for the rest of my life, not just train for kind of like, and nothing wrong with doing a marathon and where you train for a certain amount of time, you run the marathon and then lots of people will do that an accomplishment and then they might run or might
0: not. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I want to continue to push the envelope and, and see how far I can go and where it'll take me.
0: For sure. Yeah. Have you heard of, uh, people talking about the post race blues?
2: So no, But I can tell you that I feel like the bigger the race that I've done, the longer I've felt like I think what you're talking about.
0: Right, right. And, uh, you know, people like myself and yourself who kind of struggle with mental health, um, I think probably feel it a little bit more. You know, I don't know that there's any science behind that, but um yeah. I felt that a lot of times, you know, I'm working towards this goal. I'm working and my whole life is almost consumed by this thing. I remember at one time I was trained for an Ironman and my garbage disposal broke. And I was like, Oh, can't, I'm not even going to worry about it. I'm not going to fix it till after the race. You know, it's like, I couldn't even be bothered. Right. Like everything was right. going into this Ironman, but then, uh, yeah, after you finish the goal, you celebrate, you have a good day or two, and then things just start to drop off. And it's like, now what? Like, do I just have to sign for another race? Or like, who am I? Like, is this who I am now? Or, you know, was this just a fluke or all these weird feelings go through your head? so. Um, and I'm not saying that's going to happen to you, but, um, I didn't know if you'd, you'd heard of that. And I would just say, be cognizant of it and sort of have that mapped out ahead of time and and maybe plan on it. I, I don't even know what the right answer, what the right thing advice would be to give to you for something like that. But, um, yeah, people talk about it and it's, it's a real thing. So,
2: yeah, I, I was thinking about putting something on the calendar in like November, cause there's a, a local race that I, I might want to revisit. I was like, let's not put anything on the calendar until we see what this race goes like. You yeah. know, I don't want to overcommit myself. So that's no. kind of where I'm at. But
0: yeah. And for yeah. sure, you know, give yourself some time off afterwards. You're going to want to do some rest and recovery, but, uh, it's then, then that mental thing comes in. It's like, oh, all right. Like, who am I? <laughs> it's, yeah. It's weird. Well, totally.
2: I, I, I could totally see that happening because I kind of think of it like training for something like this. You know, I'm thinking about it all day, every day. I mean, I work at a running store, so right. half of the conversations I have about are, are about what I'm training for.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, and so, but and then it's one day.
1: Well, it's yeah. actually more
2: than four hours. But
1: yeah. you know,
2: get what I'm saying? Like it's kind of like your wedding day. You plan. You've got invitations. You plan all this for just a couple of hours. And it's done. Right. So, yeah. yeah, Yeah. So I definitely, um, I'm going to rely on you for for those pick me up calls for sure. I I got you back.
0: Got your back. No worries. No worries at all. Um, yeah. Do you have any other races that are like dream races for you? You mentioned Western States and cruel jewel, um, anything else that's crazy or, or like, what are your thoughts there? I know you bought a bike recently. You've been getting into a little biking.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, I, honestly, I'd never, until I started mountain biking and realizing how often that is, like, I've always been a a mountain biker, but just getting back into it recently, I was like, huh, lead man has a nice ring to it, you know? Yeah. (laughs) yeah.
0: Hell yeah. I love
2: it. I love it. I've definitely thought about that. Um, uh, I think I, I honestly, I think it'd be cool to do the triple crown. I mean, Mm. like, I think that would be like a lifetime achievement goal, you know, work my way, of course, doing like a 200 miler uh, at first, but then going for something really big like that. Mm -hmm. Um, I would love to do UTMB. That's Mm -hmm. one of my huge goals. I mean, again, it's kind of like what makes a guy think that he can run a race like that, Um, but just something deep down within him that he can't explain. So that's kind of how I feel about Leadville. But then I was like, "Wait a minute, Ledl a qualifier for UTMB. Mm-hmm. So if I got one other qualifier, I'd at least be able to enter into the lottery." And again, th- these are these goals and these dreams are so far out, and I- I'm truly relying on the faith that I can, I can only do what I can do. Um, that if I'm meant to be a, to toe that line, the things are going to line up for me to get there.
1: Yeah.
2: And so. Um, but I also need people to help me guide my goals and decide what's best. And, um, yeah, so I would say those are, those are some big ones. Um, yeah, I think the idea of the Moab 240 just sounds insane. Um, I think that sounds awesome. If I could get to a place where I was even invited, I think, uh, bad water sounds insane i think Mm -hmm. that would be awesome to train for just like wearing a sweatsuit every day like 10 layers and you know just training (laughs) for that crazy heat um and then i think i i want to do like the barkley fall classic Mm -hmm. um i think because i i'm fascinated by the barkley marathons but
0: it's your neck of the woods
2: it's my neck of the woods man it's right around the corner frozen state park
0: yeah. Um
2: Yeah, I have had a lot of people say that they've done they've done that race and um yeah, that's one race like I I don't think I can't even conceive in my mind of like entering Barkley, which and I shouldn't. I'm like way too novice of a runner <laughs> to even be considered. But uh I do it there's something like honestly weirdly romantic about that race just yeah. as hard as it sounds. I I mean, I know that's not, that's a pretty common feeling in the running runner, like ultra runner realm, but man, that just seems to me like the pinnacle of suffering.
0: (laughs) If it's calling your name, man, answer that call. I mean, it it sounds like that's how Leadville is for you. It was just kind of calling your name and it's just something you had to do, man. So like follow, follow those passions, follow the dreams. I want to ask you one more hard question uh, pertaining to Leadville. And so like, I'm going to ask you this question. And then after you answer it, I want you to just put it out of your head completely because as a coach, this is probably like, not, not the question I should be asking you, but from a a mental health perspective, maybe it's, I don't know. I want to ask you say something horrible happens and you don't finish Leadville this year, you twist an ankle, something horrible happens. Um, have you thought about what that looks like for you? And, um, yeah, partly like your mental health and how do you pick the pieces up and continue on after that?
2: Yeah, I've, I have thought about that. Um, and actually, it's funny you should say that. Like when I started telling people about Leadville and they were like, how are you going to get there? Like, you know, kind of, how are you going to get there? Or do you think you can run that far? And I was kind of thinking to myself, like I could roll my ankle on the starting line. Like totally. any of the things could mm-hmm. happen, you know? So I, I've definitely prepared myself for um, as much as you can you know for if something like that was to happen and the reality in my head is that in 365 days Ledville is going to happen again and if if I don't you know if I if some freak accident happens and uh, and I don't finish the race I will stab at it again Mm -hmm. you know I will I will get up and um, and do everything I can I mean some of my biggest inspirations are people that um, either have physical limiting disabilities mm. or mental limiting disabilities and and so no matter what no matter what comes across I'm going to figure out a way to still push past my own mental limitations even if it has to look different physically I guess is the way that I would put it
0: yeah for sure yeah that makes sense all right. Now get it out of your head. Cause it's not happening. <laughs> I mean, really, it's just, it's, it's a blessing to even show up to the starting line healthy at something like this, because the, all the training and the volume that we're doing as, as we're preparing for this, just showing up to the starting line is a blessing. It's like, yeah. I'm lucky. Like so many people wouldn't be able to do this. Couldn't be able to do this. Um, just showing up to the starting line is, is something to be thankful for. So, um, and you know, this is a, a stupid arbitrary sport anyways, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's admit it. I mean, sure. Running is cool. Ultra running is cool. I love it. I've been yeah. a part of the sport for a long time, but it, the whole thing's pointless, right? I mean, y- you get a bell buckle. That's it.
2: <laughs> the first place guy gets the same prize as the last place guy. Totally. Y'all get a bell. Yeah. Except for Legend, you get the big buckle.
0: So. Yeah. But, but come on. Yeah. <laughs> Well, awesome, man. Let's, uh, let's get you to the finish line of this stupid sport this year and then start looking Love at it. Stupid races we'll do next year. And, uh, yeah, just keep on doing this thing, man. I mean, the, the thing that I like about you, Colin is you strike me as someone who's, who's, um, not running from something, but running to something. Does that, does that resonate? Does that make sense with you?
2: Yeah. And I mean, it, it feels really great to hear you know? Yeah, know, for
0: sure. I mean, I talked to a lot of people on this podcast and, you know, all good people, but I talk to a lot of people that have mental health issues and they're running from, from something or running from something in their past or some trauma or phobia or something. And they're, right. they're like running to escape almost. And it, I don't sense sure. that from you.
2: Yeah. I, and I, I think, I think you're right. Um, I don't know that I ever would have put it into those words, but I do hear, um, people talking about that, that idea. And I think that's one of the things that makes me feel most free about running is that I'm knowingly putting myself in an adverse situation for the pure sake of that adverse situation. You know, um, it makes it harder too, because I know that at any time I can just stop. Um, there's no one forcing me to do any of this, but, it's that internal there's just an internal drive that is just so deeply rooted within me to succeed to whatever degree that is mm-hmm. um and you kind of hit on it man like it's a thing it's kind of a thankless sport and i like it that way mm-hmm. you know i think we we as people are just vain creatures we like to be noticed um but the lack of notoriety that comes with ultra running and especially middle of the pack you know there's so many of us uh it's really good for my ego I really like I really like that feeling of like kind of like being sucked into the crowd and, and like unnoticed you know because mm. really at that point you're the one that gets your struggles and gets your victory whatever that might be like and so that's kind of like my driving factor and to show these show these kids that are sleeping in the wall over that you know they can do great things too no matter what so right.
0: Totally. Amazing
2: how kids will do that to you.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. hundred percent, man. Well, I can't wait for the summer, man. Um, I'm personally going to be pacing you into that finish line. So um, we got a That's bunch so of pacers cool. and a bunch of runners that we're going to be working with out there. And uh, I'm going to be dragging your butt into that finish line. And it's not oh, yeah. Gonna, yeah, you're probably going to hate me by, uh, you know, about 10 miles in and then you're going to love me and then you're going to hate me and then you're going to love me. And, uh, yep. you're going to feel it all. You're going to feel, uh, you know, a whole lifetime's worth of emotions packed into 24, right. 30 hours. And, uh, it's going to be epic, man. And I can't wait to be there for it. So,
2: man, it's, it's exciting. Cool. Exciting. I think about it. I think, I think about it every day. Uh, I love my, nice. my map, yep. my map right I, there. I, I recognize that here.
0: map. I know that map really <laughs> well. I got the Leadville poster behind me too. So, Oh, that's cool. Yes. I like that. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, this is a great conversation, man. I really appreciate uh, you just being honest. Absolutely. I mean, uh, so many people just are sort of ashamed, I guess, of their mental health. And it's something that I'm still working through. You know, it's something that I haven't been super open and honest about, but, uh, I'm getting there and, uh, you know, listening to you just be totally open and candid about it is inspiring for me. And, uh, I appreciate it, man. It's it's great conversation. Yeah. I think it's gonna help some people too.
2: Dude, thank you so much for being willing to uh you know have me on. I'm honored to be on the show with you and and have the opportunity to talk about something that's so you know important to
0: me. So honor's thank all you. mine. Honor's all mine, man. So just keep doing what you're doing and uh let's get you into that finish line. Heck yeah. Cool, buddy. Thanks so much. We'll right. talk soon. Catch you later. All right, later. All right, I want to thank my man, Colin, for coming on the show. Uh, I really appreciate it. And thank you guys to the listener. Hit me up. Let me know what you're training for. Let me know if this resonated. Uh, let me know if you guys struggle with anything. Mental health, addiction. Uh, I don't know. I struggle with it all. So hit me up. I love hearing from you guys. That keeps me in the game. This podcast is brought to you by Big Things Crewing. Are you thinking about your first 5k marathon or ultra marathon? We are here for you. We started this company in 2019 with the goal of helping people get to the top of mountains and cross those finish lines. We offer coaching programs and training plans from beginner to elite, as well as offer crewing and pacing for ultra marathon runners. I love the sport of ultra marathon, and I love seeing people cross the finish line. It excites me in a big way, you guys. Uh, If I can be a small part in your story, it would feed my soul in a big way. We know how to get you to rally and get you into that finish line. We want to help. We want you to do big things. Look us up, big-things-crewing.com. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to this podcast so that you're notified when a new episode drops. If you like what you hear, please you guys please write us a review or share it on social media uh this this podcast is still pretty low in the slush pile as far as uh you know when you google ultra marathon podcasts this one doesn't come up uh, I need reviews for this to move up in the ratings so please you guys get on give me five stars give me one star uh tell me what you think tell me if you think I suck I don't care If you guys have any ideas for me to improve this podcast, hit me up. I'm open to whatever. Uh, We're just looking to be seen among all the other podcasts that are out there. These conversations are also on YouTube. If you want to see our ugly mugs, head on over and subscribe there as well. Find us on the social media platforms as Big Things Crewing. And as always, our website is big things crewing.com. We want to thank our sponsors. ExoSkin, the best running apparel from hats to socks and everything in between. No blisters, no chafing, no odor. Check them out. Use the discount code BTC for 20% off. We want to thank Athletic Brewing for making this possible. 20% promo code is McRobertsA20, all caps. We're hooking you guys up with a discount on the finest non-alcoholic beer around. And we also want to thank Will and On Pace Wellness. If you want to dial in your nutrition and do big things this year, look up On Pace Wellness. Mention this podcast for a 10% discount. Remember, life is short. Do big things. Pedro, take us for a run, buddy.